Bibles, and I hope you do, go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We'll start reading in verse 1. First word, and that'll be therefore, so I'll give you the back story. Since whenever we see a therefore, it's like reading a because, and so you've got to know what came before in order to have any idea what's going on. Um, previous chapter, um, Apostle Paul writing to the Romans has been uh, pointing out the difference between a connection by faith and a connection by works. And basically establishes that even Abraham, his real connection to the Lord was by faith, not by his works. And so I won't, won't spend any more time than that, but um, we'll, just, we'll start reading chapter 4 and um, Verse 25 about Jesus Christ. We believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience, experience, and experience, hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. Because... The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. It means one of us. If we were to step up and see someone who was truly righteous, he says, it's, it's a rare thing for you to step up and give your life for them. Yet per adventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. There's, there's got to be somebody who'd take up that mantle. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath, wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. See, Brother John, there's a lot going on in those verses. There sure is. And I can't unpack all that today. I read all that to get you to that one word, atonement. That's what I want to focus on. 
peace with God. That's not a peace that you could have made. That's not a peace that you can sustain. That peace is the result of the labor, the valiant effort of that right hand of God we talked about last time, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, we now stand in a state of grace, of knowing the truth of what He's done, and we stand secure. We don't have to be fearful as if we're teetering on the edge of a cliff, wondering if one strong breeze, one more sin is going to topple us over and somehow we'll be out of God's reach. That's something to rejoice in. But not only that, we can rejoice, and we do rejoice, and we should rejoice, in the hope of the glory that's reserved and prepared for us. We call that heaven. But the chief principal feature of what makes heaven so great is not golden streets or mansions or pearly gates. And that's not a gate of pearls. It's one giant pearl. Twelve gates. Eve of them, you just go through one big old pearl. But it's our Lord. To see God in the image of His Son, His Son in His image, and to dwell in His presence. That's the hope of glory. And so because all that's true, we can go through this life. And I'm, I'm doing what I said I wouldn't do. I'm going through this these verses. But I just feel like you can't give it short shrift. Um, that regardless of the tribulations that we go through, we know that God can use those to grow us as His children. It doesn't make us more of His children. You're His child. He selected you. He bought you. He paid for you. He adopted you into His family. You're His child. But the rest of your life, however long that is, it could be over today. He is going to grow you and love you and mature you and sanctify you. Right? It doesn't make you more holy in His eyes today than you would be tomorrow. Right? You're holy in His eyes because of Christ's work. Period. But we all have room to grow. Right? And so, regardless of what we're going through, God's ways are so high, He can use anything we're going through to grow us. And so that's what it's talking about, that even our tribulations, we can even rejoice in them. Not because they're fun. They're not. That's why they're called tribulations. Otherwise, they'd be called funations, right? No. But they can work patience to where we're trusting in the Lord and patiently waiting for Him to deliver us through them or giving us the daily grace to endure them, because they could last our entire life. That's what happened with Paul, right? He said, Lord, will you take this thing away? We don't know what it was. He had some kind of affliction, and he asked the Lord three times, and the answer the Lord gave him was, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Okay? But as we grow in tribulations, we grow in patience, we'll have more experience, more opportunities to look back and say, this is a time the Lord has carried me through. To encourage me and to encourage you 
from that grows more hope. Hope that he's going to do it again and again and again. And the hope that we have in Christ won't make you ashamed. To be ashamed is to be embarrassed. You ever say something's going to happen and then it doesn't and then you got a little egg on your face? The hope that you have in Christ will never result in that. It's not about how good you are. It's not. It's about how good He is. And to demonstrate that, He tells you, when did He start loving you? When you suddenly got yourself cleaned up and perfect? If that was the standard, y'all, we were in trouble. Because He wouldn't love area one of us. When we were yet without strength. It's not little strength. Without strength, the absence of strength. You know why we had no strength? We were dead. That's the biblical language. Dead in trespasses and sins. I'm not making this up. We had no strength to fix ourselves. We had no strength to draw close to God. We had nothing with which to barter. Zero. And yet He loved you anyway. So regardless of where you're at today, He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. In due time, Christ died for the good enoughs, the Instagram-worthy lives, For the ungodly. He loved you when you were yet sinners. He died for the ungodly. And he says, gives a human example, you know, who would we die for? You know, some folks will die for a really righteous man. That's a really good guy. I'll step in his place. He says, what about just a good guy? He's not, he's not, he, well, great guy. Some will die for him. But it's just a good guy. Well, maybe we could find somebody who'd step in for him. But what about for that sorry, low-down, vile, gross person? The one who looks nasty. That's the picture for us. In natural sense, it doesn't make any human sense to do that. Why would I exchange my life for that person? In a natural sense, it didn't make any sense for what Christ did. That's what makes this supernatural. This is a supernatural love that's been put upon you. God commended His love towards us. Now, was his love in word only? No. It was a love in action. A love that had the highest cost possible to take that which was unworthy of being in the presence of the Lord. One sin. Did you know that the just, righteous punishment for just one sin? Death. You go look at the Old Testament law. The result for all of them was death for somebody. It was either death for that person or it was death for an animal that had to die for them. But the point that was made is that the wages for any sin is death. God is perfect. God is holy. God cannot overlook sin. If He did, He would be denying Himself and His perfect character. Okay? So justice would be done. And by rights, He could have meted out 
perfect wrath on all of humanity, and not a one of us could complain. So the you know the the, the observation that people get upset about of well why did why did God choose some and not others? The better question is why did God choose any? He was under no obligation. He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And that's what he gets to do. He's God. His ways are higher. And so he commended his love towards us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Much more being now justified by his blood. How were you made just in the eyes of God? By the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what rendered you just. That's what rendered you innocent. His blood. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. When it comes to that great judgment day, and we see that throne, you don't have to fear wrath. Because Jesus' work is perfect. Y'all ever turn in an assignment that's perfect? Generally mine were flawed. Sometimes fundamentally flawed. <laughs> Is it perfect? Because of his life, which was perfect, sinless. Because of his sacrifice for himself for us and his death. And taking all of our sins upon him. And now as he is alive, bodily resurrected from the grave, ascended up on high, he rules and reigns, interceding on our behalf. He's the one that's going to sit there judging. You will be saved from wrath. For if we were, when we were enemies, because that's what we were. We talk about being dead in trespasses and sins. We were enemies to God. We couldn't be friends. Can two walk together except they be agreed? And it's a proverb, but the answer is no. And could we agree with God while we were dead in trespasses and sins? No, our carnal mind was at enmity. That's a strong, strong English word, so strong we don't even use it, but it's like a level above hatred. That's how our relationship is with God. So he took someone who was his enemy, who hated him, and died for him, and made them clean, and put their sins, your sins and my sins, upon his son, who bore the wrath, do us, Lord in full. It would have been bad enough to, to just take on my boatload of sins over my whole lifetime, but it wasn't just one. It was for all of his children through all of time, both before and after, at once. We can't even comprehend that. But that's what he did. If we, went, if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Word reconciliation. We use that in business sometimes. And we need to reconcile our books. We've got something over here and something over here, and they should really be the same. Something's wrong. We've got we to gotta fix it. Right? Well, there's a set of books, and there's a holy and righteous standard, and there's us. <laughs> and we weren't there. We were as far from there as you can get. And He came and reconciled us. He made us righteous. 
put away our sins, imputed His righteousness, put His righteousness upon us. And so those books are now one. We are reconciled to God. We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Again, who's the principal actor in all this? Jesus Christ. All we brought to the equation was sin. Much more so being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Okay. I've heard the word atonement all my life. Why? Because I've gone to church. You know the word that I hear when I hear that? I hear the word tone. That has nothing to do with that word. If you look at the English word, what what is that based off of? It's a word that we don't use anymore. It's a compound word. It's at one. So it's not atonement. It's at one meant. We were not at one with God. We were enemies. We had hatred. We were as far from the pure and righteous standard as you can get. And by Christ's life and death and resurrection, we have received at one mint with God. That's another way of saying reconciliation. You have been made at one. The relationship that fell, you know, we talk about the fall. What's the fall? The fall is what happened in the garden. Before the garden, everything was good and very good. Man, man and woman, they were created. All of creation was good. He gave them one rule. Don't eat of that tree. Everything else, but not that one. And they disobeyed. That's what we refer to as the fall. They fell from a state of perfection and grace. Sin entered into the world, which is what would go on with the rest of this chapter, talking about How did sin come in? By one man's actions. Who was that man? Adam, right? Oh, the Old Testament is just an allegory. It's not real. No. Jesus talked about Adam as a man, not an allegory, not a metaphor. All here is talking about Adam as a man. This This is the history before writing was around that God's given you all the way back to the beginning. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. And what followed on sin's heels, because the wages of sin is death. What happened to Adam? He died. He began to die naturally, immediately. And after 900 or something years, he died. Before he died, he had to watch his son be murdered. Or hear of the murder. Probably didn't see it directly. Death was in the world. And if you want to know if there's ever been a sinner in your life, if they ever wound up in a cemetery, they were a sinner. And so, death has reigned. And this is before the law was given, and it goes on and makes many points about that, but the, the counterpoint is that by that one man you had this offense that impacted every man coming down. But by the same token, you now have Jesus Christ 
who came and by his sacrifice he is going to clear up all the offenses of all the lives of all his people in one go. We've received the atonement. Now, this is the only time the word atonement appears in the New Testament. Well, I've, I've heard that a bunch. And if you've been with us on Wednesday nights in our Bible studies in Leviticus, it shows up a whole bunch. I think like 40-something times in that book alone. Um, so let's go back and just kind of explore a little bit about the concept of atonement, because it's an Old Testament concept, and it, it builds to this. The first time we see uh, the Hebrew word that elsewhere is translated uh, atonement is actually in the story of Noah's Ark. Genesis chapter 6, and in verse 14, Moses is told to build this, this box that he's going to put a bunch of animals in, and himself, and food for everybody. And they're going to be in there a good long time. They wound up being in there about a year. But he's given some instructions on how to prepare it. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Here's your type of wood. Rooms you'll make in the ark. So you're going to have it subdivided inside. And thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. All right. So to pitch it, that's a verb. That's the same word that elsewhere is translated atonement. To cover. To change the character of something that would not have been watertight and they would have sunk to where something where they were going to be delivered and preserved. It's kind of an interesting picture. Next time it shows up is in Genesis chapter 32. Our shyster Jacob, after stealing brother's blessing and brother's inheritance, right, has fled because brother's ready to kill him, Esau. He's fled to his uncle's, hung out there for 20 years, he's grown rich, he's got two wives, not necessarily of his choice, he was tricked. He's got um, a bunch of sons, a daughter, big household, and he's coming back into the land after that 20-year period, and guess who's coming to meet him? Twin brother Esau. And he's not coming alone. He's coming with a small army of about 400 men. Jacob's a little nervous. Jacob prepares some presents to send before him to hope that when Esau receives them, he won't kill them. So in Genesis 32 and in verse 20, he says, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us, he said, For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face, and peradventure he will accept me. Same word that's later translated, atonement, there is to appease, to make peace, to reconcile. He's given this offering in hopes that his brother will then be on friendly terms with him again. The next time it shows up isn't until Exodus. You know, several hundred years later, um, in Exodus 29, it's talking about uh, the priests and their job and what they are to do and the different sacrifices they're to eat. 
So it's in Exodus 29 and verse 33. tells them that they shall eat those things wherewith the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them, and but a stranger shall not eat thereof. So that was part of the priest's job was the consumption of all these sacrifices. And numerous times it will say, you give this sacrifice and it shall be an atonement for that person. You'll be back at one. You will be reconciled. There will be an offering to the Lord. Now, we know in the big picture that none of those sacrifices changed anything. These were symbols that God was giving that would point to the one sacrifice that actually would change something. And you see that in Hebrews where it says that the blood of boats, uh, bulls and goats um, couldn't take away sins. They couldn't, they couldn't give remission. But Christ would come and he would do one perfect sacrifice. And that's what it, all these were, were pointing to. Um, but there's one particular one that we can look at, and we've, we've talked about this recently in Bible study. But there's a specific day in the year under the Old Testament law, ceremonial law, that was called the Day of Atonement. That's uh, found in Leviticus chapter 16. Okay. Aaron, or whoever the high priest would have to be at that time, one of his descendants, would have to take some animals, some for himself, some for the people, and they would have to offer them. And we, we've looked at this in, in Bible study, and so I don't think I'll go in, in terrible great detail. Um, but let's just look at the two kids of the goats. Right? So of all this ceremony, after he's done the stuff to clean up and atone for his own sins, because as a priest, he was a man, and he wasn't perfect. And so there had to be an acknowledgement that even in this, the priest whose job was to serve the Lord and deliver these sacrifices, he wasn't perfect, um, which again is pointing to Christ. What makes him the better high priest? He didn't have to have that step. As God, he had no sin to clean up for himself. He could only make the perfect sacrifice. But then you take these two kids of the goats, one for a sin offering and one that would be set free. One of those goats, and these two goats are a combined picture of Christ's death. Okay, Christ is so perfect and the work that he did is so unique. There's no one symbol that could point to it perfectly. It had to be in pieces or in part, you know, type or shadow. Like if I told, hold my shadow over here, does it show all the depth and clarity of my whole hand? No, it's, it's, it's flat. It's distorted, depending on how... And so... These two goats, you know, there's going to be a lot given. One's going to be dug the scapegoat, and the other's going to be the one that's going to die. And the one that's died, they put their, 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 they, they put their hands upon these goats, and there's a, a, a visible symbol, the transference of sin from the people onto this goat, this, this young goat. And then one would die, and his blood would be sprinkled, and the other one would be carried by a fit man out into the wilderness and let go, never to be seen again.
goat that died obviously points to what Christ did on the cross. He allowed himself willingly, voluntarily to be captured and held by the hands of sinful men and to die. They couldn't kill him. But he allowed himself to die. So you see that in this this, this dead goat and his blood that was taken and sprinkled for the mercy seat. There was an appeasement. There was an atonement made. And while that other goat couldn't do it perfectly, what else happened there was all those sins that were put upon your Lord and Savior were carried as far away as the east is from the west. Y'all, that's pretty far. We're not talking like on a globe where they come back and meet. We're like talking about straight vectors out into the universe. And they're carried away by a, a fit man, one who is ready and able and willing. Again, Christ himself. All of these pictures point to what Christ would do. He would atone. He would make that which was irrevocably broken that you and I couldn't fix and He would make it one again to make it whole, to have a relationship restored that can't be broken again. This is the magnitude of the love that you have bestowed upon you. It is easy to get discouraged. It is easy to look at the areas of our life where we know we're not doing right and to just say, maybe I'm not his child after all. I'm not good enough. I can't do any better. But the truth is, it's not up to you being good enough. It never was. He loved us in spite of us. <laughs> and so if that's true, and it is, we can remind ourselves of that we don't have to be so discouraged we can glory in what Christ has done with thankful hearts we can get up tomorrow without beating ourselves up over yesterday have a new day the Lord's mercies are new every morning you've got another day to serve him use it use it today if you fail today, get up tomorrow and serve Him. Not because you're trying to earn His love. He's already freely given you that. But you serve Him because you love Him back. Not because you're all the time in fear of death and what that will bring. You 
No, we don't have to be fearful of death. Death is victory. Death is release from pain and sorrow, suffering, and to immediately be in the presence of the Lord. I want to look at one other spot in the New Testament, and I'm going to stop early today because I want to have our communion service before we have lunch. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second letter to the Corinthian church, the fifth chapter. told you that the word atonement doesn't appear in the New Testament um, beyond that one spot, and that's true. The Greek word behind it does appear a couple other times, but in this context it's translated as reconciliation. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll start reading verse 17, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. What happens at the miracle of regeneration, of new birth? You become a new creature. That which was dead is now alive and new. A new creature created unto good works. The source of that life is the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. That won't leave you or forsake you or abandon you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself. Who did the reconciling? God did. By the work of Jesus Christ. God the Father reconciled us by the work of the Son, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Same word that's elsewhere translated atonement, at one You have the truth, the service of the grace of Jesus Christ that took that which was at odds, enemies, and made it one. One family. One relationship. To wit, that God, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You haven't had your trespasses imputed unto you. Why? Because they were imputed unto Christ. To impute means to take and put on someone else's account. Right? Y'all ever run up a real big debt and had mom and daddy come in and take over some of that debt? Maybe not. That's the idea. Someone who didn't owe it came in and said, no, I'll put that on my account. All right? When Paul sent Philemon back to his master, Philemon was a runaway slave, he sent him back to his master, he says, if he's done thee any wrong, put that on my account. I'll repay. So our unrighteousness was imputed to Christ, put upon him. And he hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. If we have a word of reconciliation, if we have a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of the atonement, the atonement we have with God, what do you think 
we should be doing with that? Ignoring it in our lives? Or should that be the central feature of our life? To declare the great works that God has done? That's a ministry. Not a ministry of, well, if you just get your stuff together and then stay together and don't fall apart, then maybe God will like you. That's a pretty sorry ministry. But that boils down to a whole lot of theology out there. Misunderstood theology. But what a blessed truth that the word of reconciliation says, Now therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors are a representative of the principle of the master of the country. Right? What are we here? We're, we're a little embassy. right? This territory belongs to our kingdom that you can't see yet. One day you will. One day you'll have such a, a, a wonderful vision of it that you'll it will blow you away. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. And so as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. You say, wait. I he just said we are reconciled to God. We are. So well, how do you reconcile these two? <laughs> In God's eyes, you have been made perfect and sinless and holy and without blame before Him in love. But as you experience on a day-to-day, we continue to sin. We continue to have this old man that we battle against. Okay? So when it says that we are to be reconciled to God, that's our walk with Him. That's our daily submission to Him. That's a choice every day. You can't choose to be His son. He chose His children. But each day that you wake up, you have the choice to act like His son or daughter should and would. To reconcile yourself is to look at His will and say, Thy will is my will. Because I want Thy will to be done. To know what the Lord's will is, You've got to be in His Word. There's a lot of stuff out there. And sometimes we can make it up in our own head that says, well, the Lord wants this. And there's nothing in Scripture that says that. It's just whatever that person wanted to do already. Right? It's kind of like, well, I prayed about it once, and the Lord didn't strike me down dead, so I guess it must be okay. Right? Don't know how it works. Right? We're ambassadors for Christ, and we're to be sharing this word of reconciliation of what great things He's done for us, let our lives then match that, right? Y'all know talk is cheap. You can spot one who says one thing and does the exact opposite when no one's looking at a mile away, right? That's true for us. Sometimes we act like it's not. This is a choice. This is a daily opportunity. How will I serve the Lord today? How will I submit my life to Him? Not to gain anything, but in recognition of what I've already gained and received and obtained 
by the work of his Son. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. He had no sin. He, he, he lived a perfect life. His public ministry started when he was about 30 years old. So 30 years, even when he was a kid, subject to his parents, he never sinned. And you know his parents weren't perfect. And then all through his public ministry, perfect. He knew no sin. He became sin. He made him to be sin for us. And he took all of our sins, like that goat, and put them all on him. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Is it important to live in a godly way, in a righteous way, in a way that glorifies your Father? It's very important. Don't ignore that. There's, there are things for us to do. Right? To believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that He is the Son of God, that's, that's evidence of what you are. You're a child. Act like that child child of the Father, not a child of wrath. That's that daily laying down the old man. Examining self to see where we're walking in that old path. The old sorry path, not the old good path. There's a different illustration there. But the paths of the old man and seeing what's right, what's true, what glorifies God. Let me do that. So then the question becomes in your head, well, is this okay? Is this sin? Or is this, is this good? Does this glorify our Father? There's a big difference in that question, right? The is this sin mindset is how close can I get without going over that little line? Right? Often we'll get too close and we'll go over it. Right? It's not a flat territory. Right? Versus want to please my father I want my life to be a reflection of his son because of what his son has done what will please him what is good what's better what's best that's part of growing up in grace is discerning what's best there's a lot of good things you could spend your time on what's best this takes maturity this takes discernment this takes wisdom are we to remain children in the faith no. Got to grow up. How do we do that? In His Word? Coming together publicly? Worshiping together? Being under the sound of the Gospel? Interacting with your brothers and sisters and saints throughout the week? Y'all, if this is the only time you see each other, there's a problem. Right? I shouldn't get a week's worth of data about you on Sunday morning. And I can't keep up with all of you the same way that I'd like to. But y'all should be mutual encouragement and accountability and challenging in a good way day to day. Now we, we live at a disadvantage because our community is spread out. Right? There's very few folks who live in Tifton actually here. But rather than looking at it in a negative sense, we have the means to connect with each other digitally. But you have the means for impacting 
whole bunch of communities around. It's not just isolated to one town. But to do that, we have to be willing to open our mouth and have something clear and true and edifying to say, which requires preparation. Right? Our feet are supposed to be shod in what? Remember the armor? They're shod in the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's not just the gospel of peace, but it's the preparation. Are you ready to go about the Lord's business? Do you care? You have reason to care, but it's easy to get distracted, right? There's a lot of bells and whistles and distractions, cares and worries. And I said I'd go short, and I have not done that, so I apologize. We have a ministry of reconciliation. We have received the atonement, the at-one-ment with the God of this universe because He loved you first and because He was willing to sacrifice His Son. And that's what we're going to do at this communion table is as the Lord commanded us to, as often as we were to gather together, we're going to come and we are going to remember the sacrifice that He made until He comes again. So that's what we'll do.